I'm going to be reading this morning the text for today. It'll be a little bit different than some of your versions, but um, I guess we'll let Steve explain that later. It's from Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 15. It says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. And do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. have to yell at you. That wouldn't, that wouldn't be very polite, would it? Words of our Savior Jesus. Do you know Jesus? And these words are for you, our King, our Savior, God the Son, describing for his people life in his kingdom. In other words, answering the question, what, what are Christians like? What is the life of one who lives in allegiance to King Jesus really like? And I see all of you already have opened your Bibles to Matthew 6. That's good. We'll spend a bit of time there. How many of you already today, don't check now, but how many of you already today have sent or received a text on your phone? A lot of you. Yeah, I'm not setting you up. It's okay. More, more of you can admit it. You're, some of you are looking at me like, where is he going with this? I, I don't know. I mean, texting is an amazing thing, isn't it? I mean, a hundred years ago, if you were to try to explain to somebody, you know, words just flying through the, the atmosphere and landing on someone's device, they, they, they would send you straight to the, the hospital probably, right? Um, you can communicate with someone anytime you want, um, anywhere around the world. Although in my house, sometimes the text just goes to the person in the next room. I don't know if you can relate to it. It's all the way over there, right? You might as well just text. Um, and, and when you text someone, how many of you know your phone will actually let you know if the text was delivered? Boy, that's kind of sneaky, isn't it? I like that. Usually I like that. Um, and, and there is such a thing as a text that gets sent and yet is not delivered. You see that as you, as you look at your, your smartphone. And you wonder, well, where, where did it go then, right? Where, where did the message go? And then you realize, well, what difference does it make? I mean, it's completely inconsequential this message if it was sent and yet not delivered now that's kind of the idea behind Jesus teaching in Matthew 6 verses 5 through 8 our king is reminding his people that that we are those who have the great privilege listen of speaking with the God of the universe we have an audience with the King of Kings, any time we want. The maker and sustainer of all things, God who decides whether you take another breath right now, says, come to me, I want to hear from you. You, the child of God, 
has the have the privilege of running to God as a child runs to his father, her father. Kids, I see some of you have your listening guides. You could even draw a picture of, of yourself running to your father. Attentive. He's got a smile on his face. He's, he's eager to see you, to hear from you. And yet kids of all ages here, God's kids, we need to be reminded, do we not, that there is such a thing as a prayer that gets sent and isn't delivered. An inconsequential prayer. I've prayed them. And I suspect I'm not the only one here who has. Do we want our prayers to matter? Then we need this caution from our king in Matthew 6. Okay, let's, let's look at uh, verses 5 through 8. You ready? And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father, who is in the secret place. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him. Now many of us recognize those verses, as Earl reminded us when he read this scripture in its context. This is the, the intro to the how to pray passage, right? The Lord's Prayer, or the disciples pray. Lord, how should we pray then? And these verses we're looking at this morning tell us, well, first of all, you need to know how not to pray. And, and then we'll focus on how to pray. And remember, what, what, what's the broader context here? Well, in Matthew 6, Jesus is warning his disciples away from a religion of pretense, my motives matter when it comes to my religious activity. And so do yours. Even, you know, why you're here today, singing and, and reciting scripture and, and listening. Do you realize listening is an act of worship? Or can be. Serving, many serving among us here today. But the, the motive behind it matters. Why? Why are we here today doing what we're doing? Because there is such a thing as a religion of pretense as opposed to purity. And then Jesus gives three examples, and they're just examples. There are many religious activities that God's kids are engaged in. Jesus gives three that would have been incredibly familiar to his first listeners. Giving and, and prayer and fasting. And, and Jesus says in verses 2 through 4, he, he says, yes, yes, give to the poor, of course, but, but don't give just to be seen giving. Of course you pray, verses 5 through 15. Uh, but, but don't pray simply to be seen or heard as a religious person or, or to feel religious within yourself. And eventually we'll get to verses 16 through 18. You won't think that we will, but we will. I, mean, I assure you of that if the Lord allows it. And Jesus says, yes, it is normal for God's people to fast. It is normal and important to deny yourself some things at some times that you might increase your attentiveness to God. But don't do that simply to win the attention of other people. If attention is your goal, uh, then you have your reward. You got your attention, that's what you wanted, there, there you go. That's your pay. And Jesus then points to the religious leaders of his day, the, the scribes and the Pharisees of, of ancient Israel, as examples of those who had very religious-looking lives. But, but it, it was all smoke and mirrors. It was all pretense, 
play acting. And I wonder where you find yourself in this area this morning with respect to prayer. Is your outward religion pure? Or is it a pretense? In the verses we just read, we're told that these outwardly religious scribes and Pharisees were hypocrites. They, they prayed openly and with many words, but their prayers were among those sent and yet not delivered. Notice the repetition. Verse 5, and when you pray. Verse 6, but you, when you pray. Verse 7, and when you pray. I, you know, I'm not the brightest bulb, but I'm thinking this is to do with when you pray. But don't, don't miss the simplicity of this. The, it's not if you pray. It's when you pray. The assumption from the king is that his subjects are a praying people. Those who belong to the kingdom of heaven. Remember, this isn't how to get in. This is, this is for those who are in. How, how does anyone get into the kingdom of heaven? Through repentance and faith in the king. Allegiance to the king. And those who, who live in allegiance to the king have this immense, immeasurable privilege of coming to him in prayer. What are Christians like? They're a praying people. They're a praying people. So don't miss the simplicity of this. A Christian is a person privileged to speak with the living God. You say, well, I've heard that before. I'm, I'm going to just let you in on a little secret here. Everything I say, I think you will have heard before. It, it's not to do with that. Do you ever stop and think what a privilege it is to speak with the living God who says to his children, I care for you. Cast your cares upon me. Prayer is the life breath of the Christian. It's, it's as normal to those who are born again as inhaling and exhaling. As a human body breathes, so members of Christ's body, his church, privileged to speak with God. And, and we delight to do so, don't we? But here's the elephant in the room. I can see it on some of your faces. We struggle with prayer, don't we? Prayer, great privilege that it is, is difficult. Why is that? Well, we'll consider that here in a little bit. The Puritan William Bridge says this. He says, prayer is the Christian's element. As the fish lives in the water and dies when it is out of it, so a Christian lives in prayer. And his heart dies when he is out of it. Now there's another picture, I suppose, right? Fish flopping around on the dock in great peril. I wonder how many of God's people find themselves in great peril, exhausted, spiritually out of air. We forget about prayer. A fish thrives in water. A fish out of water, says Bridges, is in big trouble. And we know that. What a simple picture that is. How many of you know an, a, a, a Christian who doesn't pray is not only a contradiction in terms, uh, but is in big trouble? How do I know that? Because I've lived it. And again, I'm guessing I'm not the only one in the room who knows that by experience. A Christian is a praying person. She enjoys active communion with God. His delight is to speak with the living God. But the caution here is what? You still listening? The caution is what? Look at verse 5. There are wrong ways to do right things. This whole section of Matthew 6 is about that. Right things, 
done the wrong way. Or, or maybe better put, done with the wrong motive, okay, the wrong heart. When you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. A prayer that is sent and yet undelivered is a prayer spoken simply to be heard by others, simply to impress others. Such a prayer is not being offered to God at all. Therefore, it is not prayer. Whatever it is, it isn't prayer. The Jews in in Jesus' day had set times of the day uh, when prayers were offered. In fact, they still do today. Orthodox Jews still do this very thing. I'm remembering a few years ago, Pam and I were on a flight from um, Washington, D.C. to Tel Aviv. We were so excited about this, this trip to Israel that we were treated to. And I noticed that even on the airplane, think of how limited space is on an airplane, in every uh, galley space, wherever there was enough room, there were these Orthodox Jewish men, uh, phylacteries on their foreheads, and they're you know, rocking back and forth, you know, um, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, you know, re- reciting the Shema, um, praying, and, and the thing is, it looks really religious. And don't misunderstand me, I, I don't judge their heart, so that's God's job. But you can imagine, in a tradition like that, where it would be possible to do that sort of thing simply to be seen as a religious person, especially compared to the rest of us folks just sitting there trying to ration our peanuts for the whole trip, right? <laughs> they only give you six peanuts, that's, and that's, a, that's a long flight. See how devout they are. See how they love God. Plus, they're 30,000 feet up. They're closer to Him already, right? <laughs> no, no. And, and in Jesus' day, the scribes and the Pharisees, you can, you can picture this in your mind. You know, 9 o'clock, noon, 3 p.m., the prescribed prayer times. Uh, you can imagine a person just making sure that he happened to be in a busy marketplace when 9 a.m. rolled around. Prayer time. She just, he just happened to be at that street corner at noon, prayer time. Why? Because it felt good to have people look on and say, there are the religious people. Those are the God people. And that was their goal. And so Jesus says, that's their reward. The, the, the one reason they had for doing that was to be seen by others. They got what they wanted. That's their reward. You see, the hypocrite doesn't love to pray. He loves to be seen praying. He loves to be known as one who prays. But it's not to do with prayer. Insincere, religious-looking activity is not actually prayer. Why? Because prayer is genuine communion with God alone from a sincere heart. This is the privilege of the child of God. Genuine communion with God from a pure heart, a sincere heart. Prayer then for the Pharisees had become ritualized. They they spoke words they didn't mean to a God they didn't really love or perhaps even believe in. Now some of you are looking at me like, well, why all the history? Well, think of it this way. Where do you suppose we would go in our day, in our culture, to hear religious people speak words they don't mean to a God they don't really love or even believe in? Where would we go? Well, friend, you'd go to church. You'd go to church on a Sunday. It's been said that American churches may well be the most idolatrous places on the planet on Sunday mornings. Not football stadiums, although that might be a close second. 
Don't be like the hypocrites, warns the king. Listen, we, we know what it is to hear someone pray and get a sense that the person isn't really talking to God, but is talking to us. Anybody want to go there? It's a chance for them to showcase their theology. It's an opportunity for a a polished vocabulary to be noticed. Maybe they just want to make sure everybody knows they know the inside scoop about so-and-so. Nobody else knows the inside scoop, but they do. It comes out in the prayer. Jesus says that's, that's not prayer. That religious looking and religious sounding activity is not prayer. Do you think professing Christians today pray only at prescribed times? Say mealtime, bedtime, and yet give no thought whatsoever to communion with God any other time? I think you'd have to answer yes. Because I know in my life I've done it. And again, I suspect maybe I'm not alone. That's why you're praying for the people in the second service, aren't you? Aren't you glad this doesn't apply to you at all in any way? Of course we know what this is. You could just ask the children of some church people. Because this is the pattern in many Christian homes. A hypocrite is an actor, a pretender. She's just playing a role. She, she, she says and, 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 and does uh, that which is not truly representative of who she is. A mask. But you, okay, enough. Can we move on now? Enough of the hypocrites, but you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your father who is in the secret place, and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Now, I, I got as far as, but you. So um, just, just bear with me here. I got stuck on the word you. And so you guys know how this works. You're stuck too for a little bit, right? Um, this is to do with you. This isn't to do with you know, God's people in general. There is that, but this is to do with, with you. Your, your relationship with God. When you pray. And what does Jesus mean when he says you? He means the real you. You as you really are. Not the pretend you. Do you mean people pretend even when they go into prayer? Yes, they do. Come to him just as you are. No pretending. No pretext. No need to be concerned about whether you've got the words just right. No putting on airs. Aren't you glad for this? You can dispense with all of that and just come to your Father. When you pray, God loves real people, not people who are pretending. No, no need to pretend. There's a wonderful example of this. You still listening? There's a wonderful example of this in John's Gospel where we're told of Jesus calling his first disciples. And, and you recall Philip uh, points out to Nathaniel. I wonder if they called him Nate. But he, Philip points out to Nathaniel and he says, hey, we, we, found, we found Jesus. We, we, we found the, the Messiah. And, and, and Nathaniel's first thought was what? Can anything good come from Nazareth? I mean, that, he's that guy, right? And a few minutes later, Jesus sees Nathaniel and, and, and says to him, what? Behold an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Finally, a person who doesn't pretend to be somebody he's not. What you see is what you get. He's come to me just as he is. Doubts and all. Uncertainty and all. As it turns out, that's how we're to come to God in prayer. Reverently, as we'll see, 
in the Lord's Prayer, and yet, just as we are. No, no need for pretending, no need, no need for pretense. Still in verse 6, but you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. Many Jewish homes were, were one-room dwellings, or maybe there was a, just a second room that was the roof of the house. So, so what could this mean for a people who didn't have multiple rooms in their homes? Some of your Bibles say inner room. The old King James Version is very helpful, I think, with the word closet. There, there's the idea. The, the, the Greek word simply means the most private place available. It's not a set place, but it's the most private place, the most alone place that's available. Remember when we were studying Mark's gospel, some of you were here then, it wasn't all that long ago, and, and we saw the example of Jesus in his crazy busy life. Is your life busy? Of course it is. You ever feel, you ever get the sense that there's just no margin in life at all? Nobody had a life as jam-packed with stuff that actually mattered than Jesus. And we saw the example of Jesus in his uh, crazy, busy, yet ordered life, um, life with lots of outside distractions, so many demands that mattered. Nonetheless, God the Son, think of this, God the Son, in his perfect humanity, needed to get up early and get away and get alone so he could get with the Father. Jesus, in his perfect humanity, desired this, in fact, needed this. How much more so do you suppose you and I, in our frail, fallen humanity, need to get away and get alone so that we can get with the Father? And we know this stuff, don't we? We, we could teach it to others just fine. But, but you see, this is to do with you. That this, this is to do with me. My inhaling and exhaling, if you will, in the spiritual sense, my life with God. You see, the, the, the secret place is not so much a location as a heart orientation. It's not a place. It's, it's a kind of heart orientation. What, what's the most private place available wherever you're at, whenever you're there? Well, it, it's your heart. That's the heart attitude. I know we have moms here with little kids at home. And, I mean, I mean do, do you think it's possible that sometimes the most private place is going to be, you know, the, the pantry or the bathroom or the garage? It doesn't matter what room it is, Right? It's to do with the heart. Genuine prayer comes from a Godward heart, not a self-elevating heart. When the real you it comes to the real God, just as you are, no pretense, no show, you come to God, well, now you're praying, see. Your privilege, Christian, is to come to God with the real you. Well, what if I don't have the right words? You do. You're his child. He wants to hear from you. I wonder if there are any here this morning who need to do this very thing. What do I mean by that? I mean your great need is to come to God in the quiet of your heart. With all of your imperfections, all of your uncertainties, all of your, your doubts, all, all the stuff that you still don't know. Is, is there stuff you still don't know? Me too. And, and don't pretend otherwise. Take off all the masks. In prayer, the real you has to meet with the real God. That's what prayer is. Anything else is just a message that didn't get delivered. And when that prayer is sent 
It's delivered. Lord, Lord, give me faith. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Lord, I'm tired of just knowing about you. I want to know you. I want you. Are you hearing this? Lord, I don't want to be the guy who just knows what the word repentance means. I, I repent. I don't want to be that guy anymore. I, I turn from my sin. I, I trust in you, Lord, my Savior, my King. Will you have me? Oh, he'll have you. We even sing that sometimes, don't we? Come just as you are. Your secret place is where the real you meets the real God. The, per the person you are without pretense, without mixture. I wonder if there are disciples here today who need to get back into the habit of getting alone and getting with the Father. God is there and he sees you and in Christ he accepts you just as you are. The word secret, you might want to circle that in your friend's Bible. Um, so the Greek word is cryptos, you know, and it gives us the English word cryptic or encryption. That, that's interesting to me. There's no need to be cryptic with God. We, we don't need to offer up prayers where, where another person, let alone God, might, to get our attention, might say, what, what are you even talking about? Do you know what you're talking about? No, no need to worry that because you don't say the right words, your communication is somehow encrypted from God. He knows your heart. He, he hears. He, he understands. So anyway, just, just for the sake of clarity, what, what, what's the environment in which prayer is happening? as opposed to the message that's sent but not delivered. Prayer is real whenever and wherever the real you meets the real God. And what about the door business? I mean, if you don't have a set room, you wouldn't have a door then, would you? What, what do you suppose Jesus means when he says, make sure you, you shut the door? Well, no need to make this complicated. What does a door do? It, it shuts out all the stuff that you don't want there. And it closes in all the stuff that needs to stay there, right? You see how simple that is? I remember many years ago. You have time for a quick story? It's, it's coming anyway, right? Um, what was I talking about? Um, so many years ago, my father will remember this, a trip to the Oregon coast, and... Um, we stopped at this donut shop that was run by, remember that? Run by this um, very, very, very grouchy old man. And I don't think he was in business for very long. But we went into this little donut shop, and you know, the windows are all steamed over with humidity and whatnot. We, as soon as we came in the store, um, he, he looked at us and he said, shut the door! Like that. And, like, we're customers, right? And we did a double take and we looked around at the, 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 the things that he had to offer and, and, and the thing that really bothered him, see, was we were letting all of the humidity out of the building, all of the warm air that would help his dough rise. And like, is that what you would say to a customer though? Shut the door, you know, that sort of thing. But you know, the deliberateness of that I'll never forget. Style points, he lost all of them. But, but the, the deliberateness of that, you got to hand it to the guy. He knew what he wanted in there, and he, know, and he knew what he didn't want in there, right? And, and prayer is kind of like that. We have to shut out distractions deliberately. They don't just naturally get shut out. Ironically, the whole text business might be one of the things some of us need to shut out but I find that I don't even need some kind of material distraction. I've got enough of them bouncing around in my head. 
the shutting the door business in prayer is important because we want to be we want to be Godward in our thinking. We we want to be Godward in our praying, and so there there are things that we we need to keep out in order to to keep the right focus. Listen, you know this by experience that prayer. How vital is prayer? It's so vital that Satan attacks the prayer room. There there is nothing sacred to the enemy of souls. And and he's more than pleased to bust right into your quiet time, your your quiet place. Have you noticed this? You're you're spending time deliberately alone with God and pretty soon you're you're planning your next trip someplace. How, How did that even happen? Prayer. Is, is not only communion with God, but it's a place of spiritual warfare. Isn't it interesting that the two times we see Jesus battling intensely with temptation, not that those were the only two times, but in the wilderness, 40 days, um, at Gethsemane, um, both times he was alone to commune with the Father. And, and there is the enemy seeking as if he could with our king to interrupt that communion with God. So shut the door simply means to get rid of the distractions. Shut everything else out so that you can concentrate on the Father. Does he have your undivided attention to the extent that's possible? When you come to God as you really are, on the basis of who he really is, he hears you. He hears me with favor. Think of the things that you're needful of in your marriage, you you married people. Um, Wouldn't it be wonderful and sensible if the normative thing would be for us to go to the Father together? God who delights to give good things to his children? Think of what we just sang. How do we face a task unfinished? Ought it not bring us to our knees when we think of the privileged task that is ours to reach this community for the king, to reach this community with the gospel? Wouldn't that drive us to become a praying people? Sure it would. Sure it would. There's a wonderful example of this in the history of the early church. I want to just mention it to you because I, I think it helps, uh, helps us understand the distinction between a Pharisee's prayer and the prayers of a child of God. Uh, but but in, in Luke's account of the conversion of, of Saul, you know, Saul of Tarsus, the Pharisee, he's, he's running around persecuting the early church, uh, you know the story of Saul, right? What happened with him? He, he, he's radically saved on, on, on the road to Damascus. And the Lord then comes to another disciple in a vision and says, Hey, uh, go find Saul of Tarsus. And, and you realize that, well, that that would be like the Lord saying to one of us today, I, I want you to invite Vladimir Putin for dinner. Um, he's, he's one of mine now. So just go get him. And you'd, you'd be like, Serious? Yeah, go get him. So, so the Lord said to this disciple, Acts 9.11, Arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he is praying. What a, what a strange thing that is. Saul, a Jewish boy, grew up praying. Saul... A Pharisee was a professional prayer. But all of those prayers, as many as there were that got sent, weren't delivered. But once he's indwelt by the Spirit of God, once he has been brought to an end of himself and is living in allegiance to the king, and he cries out to God from the the quiet of his own heart, he comes to the Lord just as he is, that the testimony of Scripture is, well, now he's praying, see. That's a prayer. That, that, that's a prayer that gets delivered. 
And this is what Jesus promises to us when he says, pray to your father who is in the secret place. And and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. I I suggested in the the pastorgram last week that you, you just add up the number of times that word father is repeated in this opening half of Matthew 6. Did anybody do that? Or, or, did you, or did you say, well, it's probably just a lot, and that must be the point. So, yeah, I, I'm on to you. That's probably what I would have done, too. The answer is a lot. I mean, I counted 10, but it's a lot. Depends on your translation, right? Now, why would something be repeated like that 10 times in just a few verses? Turns out it's fairly important. You need to remember, I need to be reminded every day, and this happens in prayer, that a Christian is a person who relates to God as a child relates to his father. A Christian is a person who knows God and and is known by God as a child knows and is known by her father. Our youngsters are probably done drawing their picture. But I wonder if, if you've got that picture firmly implanted in your own mind. Your daddy doesn't care if you use the right words. He doesn't care if you look the right way. If you're in a certain posture. If you've got the right vocabulary. In fact, he prefers that you would just be you. Because you are the one he loves. Not the pretend you. Not the you of pretense. You. This is the scandal of the gospel, right? It's not a deserved thing. It's a given thing, this love from God the Father for his own. One last time, the Puritan William Bridge, he says, the word father is a sweet word, for it sweetens all our duties. Take the word father out of prayer and how sour it is. I think what he means is it's not really prayer. The only way we have access to God so that we know him as father is through our belonging to the one who has always known him and has only known him as father, the Lord Jesus Christ, our king. You know the difference between prayer in the Old Testament and the New Testament? You see Jesus in the Gospels only praying to God as father. Why? Because that's their relationship. That's their relationship. Only one time at Calvary did Jesus pray, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? All the other times it's Father, Father. He was forsaken so that you would need not ever be forsaken by the Father. Do you know the Father in that way? I mean, I mean, do you know him through the Son? Because that's the only way. There is one mediator between God and man. The scripture says, the man Christ Jesus, who is God. It's only because of your belonging to Jesus who lived for you and died for you and rose again for you, that you have this privilege any time you want to or need to, which is always, Paul says, pray without ceasing, right? Always. Um, The privilege is ours to go to God as Father. Uh, John tells us in his gospel that our king said to his disciples just, just outside the empty tomb, he said, I am ascending to my Father and your Father. Wow, to my God and your God. Now this is basic, I know, but how many of you know basic things are vital things? This is vital because Jesus is about to teach his followers how to pray. 
Right now he's saying, don't do this, but pray this way. And he didn't give you know, what we call the Lord's Prayer as a bunch of pious-sounding words that we would repeat mindlessly. Although that is actually quite common in some churches today. Did you know this? The Lord's Prayer is a model prayer. It's not a mantra. Your Father, my Father, the God who is, He's not interested in mantras. Not at all. So Jesus says, verse 7, When you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Don't, don't be like the insincere Pharisees. He says in verse 5, and now in verse 7, he says, don't be like the heathen, the Gentiles, the pagans who used incantations, meaningless gibberish, repeated over and over again, thinking that their gods would perform for them. The pagans believed that their, their imaginary gods had to be badgered, awakened, And so there was always the secret spell or the secret handshake or the phrase that had to be repeated or mumbled over and over and over again. In the Old Testament, you read of the prophets of Baal. And what were they they saying? From morning till noon, O Baal, hear us. God who does not exist does not hear, right? In the book of Acts, we read of Paul and his companions in Ephesus. And you know, what were those people uh, chanting incessantly? You know, great is Diana of the Ephesians, over and over and over again, getting themselves into an uproar. Yahweh, the God of the covenant, the, the God who is, does not perform in response to man's incantations and chants and mantras. Save your words, Jesus says. That isn't prayer. No, no matter what it sounds like. And you're thinking, well, my goodness, we, we don't do those types of things today, do we? Well, let me, just, let me give you an example from maybe a little bit afar, and then we'll bring it close to home. In, in Roman Catholicism, there is the practice of, of hailing Mary over and over and over again. And the thing of it is, is that 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 isn't prayer, friends. It's paganism. And unless we say, well, I understand that, um, get all puffed up about it, I'm I'm so glad I'm not like those people, um, wouldn't we have to admit to our own tendency to mindlessly repeat familiar words when we pray? Anybody relate to that at all? We can do these things. We can even train our children to do such things if we're not careful. So it's not the sincere repetition of actual needs that Jesus is is talking about here. What, What do you do when you need something from dad? You keep asking, right? That's not the issue. The issue is thinking that somehow there is this magic formula that that forces God's hand. Verse 8, Therefore do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask them. What what, what do you suppose he's, he's speaking of here? The things you have need of. Do you know one of the greatest obstacles to prayer, friends, is living in this imaginary world where we think we don't need anything. And the Lord will actually allow us to live with that delusion for a season, won't he? And then he does what? He lets you see your need. The Father who already knows what you need before you give voice to those needs nonetheless wants to hear your heart. Clearly he's speaking of any need. Material needs, you know, physical needs, of course. And he responds with his infinite wisdom. The only way we would want him to respond. But, but, but think of other needs. Do you realize that your Christ-like character depends upon prayer? That's not native to you. You don't 
construct that yourself, nor do I. Our pure thought life depends upon prayer. That's not natural to us. It's a work of the Spirit of God. It's energized by our asking, our worship, our testimony in the community, our sincerity in religion. All of those things depend upon prayer. How could I say that? Because they're not natural to us. They're not native to us. They come from God. My witness in the world depends upon prayer. And so does yours. My effectiveness, our effectiveness as a people of God in this community depends upon prayer. If we are to be godly people in Hayden, Idaho, we, we must be a people of prayer. Not like the Pharisees. Not like the hypocrites who just pray as a religious activity because it feels good and people can see it and say, hey, there's the religious people. There's the, there's the church people. No, it's, it, it's because we know God as Father and we're His children. And he says, come to me. Just the way you are, come to me. I already know what you need. But I want to hear from you. And I want to give what only I can give. Okay, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this immeasurable privilege of coming to you on the basis of what Jesus has done for us. He has opened the door so that we might approach you. Lord, the unapproachable God is now approachable to us because of what you have done for us, Lord. You have brought us near. And so we can come boldly to your throne of grace, knowing that we will find grace for our times of need. And Lord, that is simply all the time. And so I pray, Lord, would work in our hearts that we might be more and more so a praying people. Lord, not as a discipline alone, not certainly not to be seen by others, but just as needy children and excited children, children who love to relate with their father. Lord, let us do that simply because we love you and we need you. And we ask you this for your namesake. Amen.